0: Welcome to Film Fight Club. I'm Glenn Falkenstein for Falcon Screen and we are joined by freelance writer and critic Farhat Nehru. Hello people. And Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans.
1: Hey, uh, there's some movies this week that you might not want to watch. There
0: are some movies definitely this week. You may or may have feelings about them. We are in Event Cinema's Joel Street. We're going to go to our Fifty Shades of Grey Beanbag Cushion Corner, but they've taken that away.
2: I'm so sad about that. Like, I, I loved that lounge, and I loved all the advertising for it. It was the best advertising ever. Speaking
1: of advertising, we were able to get some free chocolate here, um, some dark milk, and some Mentos. Um, unfortunately, dark milk is the least favorite chocolate here at Film Fight Club, but we'll take the free stuff that we find in random corners while recording illicit episodes of radio shows.
2: Like, whoever thought of that? Like, dark milk. It's the worst combination ever. Take dark chocolate and milk chocolate, and like it's like two things trying to mess with each other in your mouth. It's like, why? Why do this to me?
1: Yeah, it feels like half of a really good thing, but then as you start to seep into the pleasure of dark chocolate, it's snatched away from you by half-hearted Cadbury dairy milk. It's like a product designed to satisfy no one. Speaking of which, the first <laughs> film this week... Uh, we talk- is Well, the first film we're talking about is Die Hard. Sorry, though, it's um,
0: Towering Inferno. Sorry, I mean um, Die Hard, Mission Impossible oh. 4. No, no, we're talking Skyscraper, the new film with Dwayne The Rock Johnson in cinemas tomorrow. We will also be talking a film Varat caught just now.
2: Yes, I, I, I saw Ocean's 8, and I kind of liked it, which I'm surprised by. <laughs>
1: And we'll also be talking about Ant-Man and the Wasp. You can tell Chris is excited for the third Marvel film in six months? Third in five months, I think. It's just nuts. Yeah, it, well, it is. You're absolutely right.
2: I'm just like, I'm, I'm done. Marvel just, I'm, I'm just oversaturated with Marvel movies. I'm just done.
1: Speaking of just done, um, we've just done with a screening of Skyscraper. Yes, we saw
0: Skyscraper just now. It is in cinemas tomorrow. It is the new film starring The Rock as a security expert who is brought in. Which Rock? Uh, the one with Nicolas Cage. Sorry, no, no the the, oh. d- Dwayne, the one who, the one who cooks in the kitchen. You know.
2: Oh, for that one, you have to wait for the Cagey time, which happens at MIF. For that, the program is out this week, so check it out.
1: Yes, the program just launched. We're so enthusiastic to talk about
2: Skyscraper, but
1: yeah, we would be covering the MIF lineup if the program. Uh, wasn't inaccessible on the website right now. So hopefully by the time you're listening to this myth have fixed that and you'll be able to look on yourself at myth.com.au and find out what's playing in Melbourne.
0: Yes, we will be doing many, much more coverage of myth and the wonderful films playing there, the many films playing and premiere premieres in the coming weeks.
2: And we'll be there in myth in person, so come say hi or, or not if you find that like odd or weird, but still say hi. Yeah, please come say we'll, we'll be the guys fighting.
1: It's not weird. But, uh, but uh, what is weird is I'm really straining for these segues today, guys. Um, some of the plot contrivances in Skyscraper. Yes. Du- uh, Dwayne Johnson is a security expert who is brought in
0: on a new building, which is the biggest one in the world. We are pointedly told that it is three times bigger than the Empire State Building and about twice the size of the Burj Khalifa, which featured in the fourth Mission Impossible film. I'm excited for the sixth one coming out half of the week. So really, yeah, keen to talk about Skyscraper here. So he is brought in with his family to advise on the building with the CEO um, in Hong Kong. The CEO is played by the guy who played the CEO in Hong Kong, in The Dark Knight, they just got the same guy to play essentially the same role. And a Roland Moller, who was wonderful in Land of Mine, a fantastic Danish actor who was also in The Commuter early this year, comes in to take over the building by setting it on fire, which traps... Uh, the Rock's uh, family, and he, trapped outside the building, has to get back in in order to rescue his family. And as Chris alluded to, a lot of very strange plot contrivances has happened, one of which has got a lot of publicity. It's The Rock jumping from a crane into the building, and many scientists explaining how this is, and physicians, phys- physicians physics, you know what I mean, explaining how this is not, yeah, science, Glenn, great, explaining how this is not possible. He means physicists. I'm yeah, just thinking that West Wing episode, of psychics from Caltech, psychics from Caltech for all the West Wing fans out there.
1: Okay, so to give you an idea of the nonsense in this movie, the Dwayne the Johnson rock uh, gets framed as as you as you do when you have the rock. Then there's danger around every corner. <laughs> um, anyway, he gets framed, so the cops are coming after him, and when he's realizing his family are up in in this building. He sees the skyscraper, and obviously in his mind he's hatching the idea for this daring entrance into the burning, towering inferno. And rather than saying, you know, talking to the cops and saying, look, my family's up there, we need to mount a rescue mission, when the cops come after him, he fights them off so that he can race off and climb the skyscraper himself. This is because there's some mistaken identity. The terrorists who have um, hands Grubered the building... Uh, have somehow managed to pin this on The Rock. But at no point does anyone think to call the CEO who's trapped at the top of the building. We
0: have cell phones now. It's not 1988 diehard. We have this technology.
1: Exactly. This guy is like a major celebrity as the intro sequence sets up. So how come no one ever just calls him and says, hey... um, is you know the rock is claiming that he's actually the good guy and there's a bunch of Hans Gruber types in the building is this true or not and he would have said yeah okay okay we're going to try and mount a rescue mission for you and and the rock's family instead of the rock having to climb into it himself but i guess i'm just sucking all the fun out of this movie
0: yeah, it's basically every episode of 24 where Kiefer Sutherland has to go, no, there's no time, we have to torture them. And it is essentially Hans Gruber. There is no characterization for this figure or anyone else in the film really that, beyond that he's Hans Gruber. And it takes a lot from a lot of films. Um, we mentioned Die Hard, but there's some very explicit references, including um, jumping from the building, um, scaling the building, the duct tape. Duct tape features extremely heavily, as it did in Die Hard, and a film Chris and I have just been debating, Last Action Hero, um, a terribly very overrated film from the early 90s.
1: No, no. The movie, I th- the movie is terribly underrated. Because it's considered to be a terrible movie, but it's actually one of the best action movies of the 90s, in my opinion.
0: Oh, no. So badly it's scripted. For-
2: it's, it's interesting. Uh, we're talking about action movies right now, and I could just hear an epic kind of action movie soundtrack in one of the theaters playing. So it's like the perfect backdrop for this discussion right now. I think that's
0: Jurassic World. <laughs> yeah. Um, there, there's, there's
2: literally... Okay, maybe not that epic then.
0: <laughs> There's literally the opening sequence of Last Action Hero, which also, I think, and actually one of the film's more nuanced aspects is revisited stylistically later on. It is a little bit clever in Times like six, It Would Be. There is a um, sequence involving a Hall of Mirrors, taking very much from the famous Bruce Lee film we were discussing: Enter the Dragon, Enter the Dragon and John Wick 2, and the Man many with the go- of the God. Yeah, Man of the Golden Gun, and it was, it's fine enough, except you look at this at the very beginning, and you know exactly that, oh, this is going to be the set piece for an action sequence. Of course. I was like, Virat?
2: <laughs> sorry, you just segued from, like, Into the Dragon to The Man with the Golden Gun. That was, like, the worst. I'm sorry. Man of the Golden Gun was a great movie. Scaramanga. You remember the scene at the
0: end where they're on the Island Fortress?
2: That, like, you just went from, like, serious and, like, oh, my God, action movie, like, awesomeness to, like, camp. So, Yeah. I like that movie. The
0: car flipped in, you know, on, on its...
2: Speaking of camp, skyscraper.
1: <laughs> Your segues are great this week. I'm so going to give it to you. Um, the, thank you. Thank you. Look, the CEO character in this, the guy from Dark Knight, just absolutely sucks. Um, don't say sucks, as the mum says to her kid in this movie. Um, Dev Campbell in one of many, many thankless roles. Yeah. <laughs> Man, her career is just a chain of thankless roles ever since Scream, right?
2: Uh, I, you know, I actually think saw all the Scream movies. Whoa. Is she screaming for help for her career right now? Uh, look, she, she's a great
0: actress, and she deserves a better role in this, but then most people in this film do. There's, they've got Ran- uh, I think it's Keith Rankin, who was in the last two seasons of Breaking Bad, as one of the bad guys here, and he literally has only a couple of... Where's one line of the film? He's completely underused.
2: Oh my God, I, know, I get it now. I, I know what the role of Dwayne The Rock Johnson is. He's basically there as like a substitute employment machine for all these actors who are out of jobs in Hollywood.
1: Okay, so going back to um, actors in thankless roles, the CEO guy in this, yeah, and how he's absolutely terrible, he just does not seem to care that his building's on fire. Like, the whole thing establishes that this is his dream of building this massive tower into the sky, we're touching the gods, blah, 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 blah. Um, It weirdly sort of tries to establish the wonder of this building as if it were Jurassic Park or something. Um, But then... Yeah, this guy, seeing this magnificent Eighth Wonder of the World blow up, just does not seem to care. He barely emotes at all. No, it, it
0: barely registers at all. The MacGuffin, for what he actually does care about, is actually quite decent. It actually worked well into the plot. It gave a reason why everyone was up there. But some of these action sequences... The problem with what was great about Die Hard was the great, famous one. It built, it built, it built. And then finally, he jumps off the roof and got back in using the hose towards the penultimate scene and that worked really well the equivalent sequence happens really early in the film so and then it's much a smaller scale stuff and then they try and recreate it with a lousy action sequence where so he has to jump through turbines and yeah no one no one is going to survive this it really takes the grounding and just shoots and just shoots in a whole other direction
1: it's the problem with action movies now versus then. Everything has to be bigger and bigger and bigger, and this movie has to compete with superhero scale stuff. So the the level of, like, you know, something like Die Hard is already stretching credibility of can a person survive that? But you can basically suspend your disbelief and go with it. But The Rock in this has just infinite strength in his... Uh, Arms. I mean, it's lucky they cast the rock in this in this role because I couldn't buy it with anyone else. But yeah, you you can't even buy it with the rock. He's just endlessly climbing things, endlessly hanging off, um, and it looks fake. You know, it's all it's all CGI that is quite poor. Um, there isn't really much of a sense of the locations, and there's not really any physical reality to it. So to compare it to something like Die Hard or even the Mission Impossible Four. Uh, Burj Khalifa sequences which was great which were fantastic those was so much more of a sense of physical reality which heightens the sense that something can really go wrong in this movie you never really believe it you just kind of go along with it because it's dumb entertainment
0: I think diehard work because things gradually escalated. I am going to defend this film a bit, though, because it has, as you said, The Rock. The Rock, like the Arnold Schwarzenegger films, are a genre unto themselves, and you accept that this person has is not a superhuman, but has in some it was accepted to have near superhuman strength at times. And yes, we see The Rock like kind of holding a bridge together, and that works much better than seeing someone like Bruce Willis do it. And I accept, while it's a little incredulous, the fact that they cast him makes it a bit more relatable and a bit more relatable.
1: Yeah, that's what I was saying. Like, it's it's had to be The Rock if you're going to make this kind of movie. But nonetheless, in terms of suspending your disbelief and actually worrying about his safety, you don't do that. You always know things are going to be okay, pretty much, because of the level of insane things that he survives. It just becomes like, all right, here comes another one that he's going to get through, which is, is always the problem with these kinds of movies, making you believe that the hero can actually die and uh, I never believed that in this film. Is there suspension
0: of this belief whatsoever? Is there's no real proper suspension on this building?
2: I was just thinking about how action movies are shot now versus how they were shot in the past because we talked about *Enter the Dragon even though in a segue. Now I'm just thinking back to like you know *Enter the Dragon, Bruce Lee or even Jackie Chang's earlier sort of you know a Hong Kong kind of action movies and how they actually had everything in the frame and now just relying on heavy editing to basically become this sort of you know, gradual mess of short, sharp takes and not actually the action doesn't breathe on screen.
1: Speaking of which, that's the way that the fighting is shot in this movie. Whenever um, fight sequences break out, it's, I think, way too chaotic. There's a moment early on where uh, Dwayne Johnson has his bag snatched and gets cut with a knife and it happens in a flash of edits where you can't really tell what the hell's going on. It could have been way more interesting visually um if it were made by a better director and i think that goes for the majority of of the action throughout the film i think as a whole it's also a very flat looking film i was surprised to see it shot by robert Elswit, who's a great cinematographer but the uh there's almost no punch to any of the lighting or the shots in this
0: um on the fight sequences I have to agree later in the film they're just too frenetic and too hectic and there are very few hand to hand combat scenes given okay, maybe sure the ro- it's the rock and you can take any woman. Still we expect some decent hand to hand combat in a film involving moler in particular. Um there was is one quite decent fight hand to hand combat scene at the very beginning, um involving one character who we don't necessarily want to name. It's not much of a giveaway to say he's a bad guy, but yeah, there's a few characters who just become bad guys and you know. It's, but this
1: this movie is such nonsense. It's kinda it's fun nonsense. Like I was able to enjoy it, I guess, because it's just so... It's barely pretending to be a real movie, you know? It's, like, it's, it's dumb. I, I mean, I did have fun, despite all these complaints. Like, it's not good by any means, but I, mean, I enjoyed it.
0: I, I, I enjoyed it, so I had fun. Last two points to make on this film on that early action scene. the One thing we haven't mentioned about this is that the character, the main character, has a prosthetic leg throughout the film. Now, it's very rare you see characters in, uh, depicted... In this manner, and I think it's depicted. Given it's an action film, quite sensitively, it isn't yep. overblown, and it's you. And it's used to the, the the fact that he has this predicament is used to quite interesting effect and novel effect film. Secondly, um, the one character who rocks up. Um, okay, we saw the Hans Solo earlier this year. And in this and in so many others, it's very lazy shorthand for bad guy to have facial scars. He has a facial scar. He must be a bad guy. This isn't a PC thing. It's just, please, you know, you can be more creative in terms of how you come up with bad guys. I have a facial scar myself. It's whatever. But yeah, come on. Like there's, there's better ways to say this guy's the bad guy than just, you know, putting it front and center here in this sort of way.
2: Static leg? Really? Do you mean uh, this movie really literally goes out on a limb to convince you that Rock is the last action hero? Wow.
1: Well done. Well played, sir. Well played.
0: Um, That is Skyscraper slash Die Hard slash MI4 slash Towering Inferno. It is in cinemas tomorrow. Next one we are talking about is the
2: Oceans 8 briefly and then we will get on to Ant-Man and the Wasp. Yeah, Ocean's 8. It came out during the Sydney Film Festival, so I couldn't catch it, and also the fact that everyone thought that it wasn't that interesting. And I just I just saw it eventually, and I'm surprised by... I was okay with it, and I'm just like, this is the standard of like studio movies right now. If I'm okay with a studio movie, I'm just like, I want to give it props and be like, oh, wow, okay, I'm not going to hate you, which is... Like really high bar right now because everything is so mediocre. So I'm surprised by how okay I was with this movie.
1: And uh, But yeah, the, but that's all you're going to say about it. You must have been so bowled over by it.
0: Yeah, it seems... I've heard mixed things about it. It seems like it's, what, fine. It's fine, the movie.
2: Look, I was... I was okay. Disclaimer, I was never a big fan of the original Ocean series. They, they were also okay, campy, fun, heist films. I never took them too seriously. And this has that kind of, you know... Slick, kind of interesting uh, choices of the original. Uh, but also at the same time, it has its own flavor. I mean, the fact that Sandra Bullock and Kate Blanchett, they have a different dynamic. And, and it's not as same as, you know, replacing George Clooney and Brad Pitt, even though they're essentially, literally being replaced in a similar kind of roles. You know, Kate Blanchett is essentially a replaced Brad Pitt in terms of the characterization, but she brings a different flavor to it. And she's more deadpan and actually funny. So this film is actually in this like kind of setting, in the way it's thing and the big Hatanaissance, which we should talk about. You know, it's brought
0: yeah. We should should we okay okay?
2: You know, it's 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 brought back Anne Hathaway as a genuine contender for how amazing she is an actress. Uh, even though I think Colossus should have done that. But I think people finally giving her credit for being a good actor because I don't know There was something happened and everyone found Anne Hathaway to be annoying. But ever since Rihanna said...
0: Really? No, no. I've always thought she was great. She's always made great films. She's really talented.
2: I I think we are in the minority because I think I walked out of the theatre and everyone was like, oh my God, how annoying is Anne Hathaway? Why does she keep playing herself? And I'm just like, what? These people know Anne
0: Hathaway. Wow, I'm impressed.
2: I'm just like, yeah, anyway. So she's great. And this movie is Like, It's not trying too hard to be something it's not. And for that, I actually give it props because... I've been missing sincerity in studio movies. And this movie kind of knows its audience and is just going for that. And in that way, Steven Soderbergh produced. But it's also, you know, pretty slick. And the the plot is like, you can buy it. Like, the suspension disbelief is not that much. And it's quite funny at times. And Rihanna is... Interesting as well. Also, tennis jokes. This movie has got tennis jokes. Totally
0: know <laughs> oh, we see we see what's going on. Here we know what this has been all about.
2: Okay, so this, okay, the, the, the basic plot and premise is uh, Debbie Ocean, who plays, sorry, Sandra Bullock, who plays Debbie Ocean, who's the sister of Danny Ocean, then that's the, you know, link, is she plans to steal a big necklace by Cartier at the Met Gala. Anyway, that's some basic bare bones of the plot. She assembles her team to basically do this. Anyway, but where tennis comes in, because the Met Gala is, you know, Anne Wintour, who's, you know, a huge, huge fan of Roger Federer. And there's this scene of, like, Anne Wintour listening to Johnny Mack doing commentary on Roger Federer, just basically saying, oh, my God, gorgeous backhands. And Anne Wintour is just like... Gleamingly joyous. Now that we now know why, there's a good review of this film.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, there hasn't been a great oceans film for me since I didn't like the original. I'm talking about the Sinatra version. The first George Clooney one I liked. The other two were, in my view, appalling. But this seems the interesting.
1: Sinatra, the Sinatra one's a really bad movie. It is. It,
0: I don't know why it's such a classic. I mean, it's a very poorly plotted. Sure, Dean Martin's in it, and I like Dean Martin, but otherwise, it's not really got anything going for it. That is Oceans Eight.
2: I mean, watch it. I mean, not, okay, I like tennis, but if you don't like tennis, that's also okay. It's, a, it's an interesting movie. It shouldn't get the hate just because people have different ideas of what the originals were supposed to stand for. It's definitely way better than the Ghostbusters remake. How about that?
0: Better than the, high better than the no, terrible no Ghostbusters high <laughs> film. Uh, that is in cinemas now. The next one we are talking about is Ant-Man and the Wasp, the 20th entry in the Marvel Cinematic Universe starring Paul Rudd. Long shall they live! No. yes, yes. It'll be go it'll be going for long, long after we're dead. It is the sequel to the twenty fifteen film Ant-Man this is Ant Man of the Wasp. Uh, the wasp is of course Evangeline Lilly, Michael Douglas returns, everyone returns basically except Corey Stoll. Everyone's contractually obligated to do another. Yes, essentially. And yeah, this takes place um uh, before Avengers Infinity War, but following the events of Civil War. So Ant-Man is under house arrest and suddenly he is brought out of house arrest because things happen, and he needs things to do. It's similar in tone and style to the first film, however, I actually thought this was quite a bit of an improvement.
1: Okay, Glenn was talking about how Ant-Man is under house arrest at the beginning of this film, and the way that this is brought up in this revealed to me the artificiality of Marvel as a storytelling enterprise. Captain, He's... Sorry. The reason why Scott Lang is under house arrest is because he helped Captain America in the movie Civil War. But... Ant-Man helping Captain America is an event that has nothing to do with the world of the Ant-Man movies or the motivations of the characters they're in. It's just something that happened because these movie, the marketing angle of Civil War is a bunch of Marvel characters team up. Um, so, to see all these characters look really angry with Scott, like, Scott, you did a really bad thing. For some reason, we, we didn't like you doing this, just feels artificial and makes the characters who are, con- you know, um, Michael Douglas and Evangeline Lilly, who are constantly scorning and mocking Scott, seem really unlikable because, the, you know, the foundation of why they hate him isn't actually built into this world. It's just something grafted on from another movie. The way that these films intersect for all of the praise it receives isn't, still isn't convincing. Furthermore setting up this house arrest storyline is so lacking in originality because it's just there as an artificial way to reintroduce a redemption arc for Scott Lang character when he's already won the trust of his family. Uh, So it's as if after the original movie, they couldn't imagine a different way of using this character than just writing another redemption arc. The This was
0: problematic. It seems they don't have particularly an original narrative for Ant-Man, aside from what is appealing about Ant-Man is the quips and the fun, and that is why I felt this was a bit of an improvement. The first one went for a really irreverent tone and just overdid it and overblew it. This one, I think, goes for a similar thing but nails a lot more. There's about a dozen gags, at least, that land exceptionally well.
1: No, a dozen. Uh, Dude, this movie has maybe, like, two funny bits. Okay,
2: this. okay. Uh, somebody needs to say this, and uh, I'm gonna try and maintain my anger while I try to go in this tirade. Uh, I'm sick of Marvel fatigue. Like, I'm sick of Marvel movies in general, but I'm just sick of like this kind of extremely curated product that's trying so hard to make me laugh.
0: Marvel's a product. It's and the films are product. they're not. Films. I mean, all films are products to an extent, but these are products so much more.
2: But the laughs are not genuine. They are somewhat showcased with a bloody punchline, almost like a laugh track playing in the background. It's like, you, hey, you, puppet, laugh now. Do not do that to me. I'm not an idiot. Do you think I pay 20 bucks for a movie ticket so that you tell me when to laugh in a movie? You can
1: see the corporate mandates working whenever you watch a Marvel movie. It's Marvel's fun. Guys, write some jokes. But, like... It, it's such terrible comedy writing. Oh my god.
0: Okay, I'm gonna be the guy to defend Marvel here, it seems. There's a few wonderful sequences in this film. There's the soul chicken machine, which is very reminiscent of the train sequence in the first film. There's some hilarious sequences where they actually take stock of just what it would be like to have fight scenes Literally on this scale, including the hilarious sequence where he tries to jump on a particular flying insect and a particular other larger animal comes and nams it away. There's a few here where they aren't going for the overstatedly irreverent tone where you're like, okay, there's something a little different and actually very much in line with the comics and what is its root humor
1: the action 's fine, um, I think the spark of watching the the shrink and get bigger again thing is back from you know sorry, it has been lost because a lot of this is very similar to the action that we saw in the original film, and now there 's more of it it 's decent it 's competently done there 's some clever bits of size shifting, but you imagine what could have been done. Um, if there was a director who had real visual imagination behind this. Like, I just thought coming out of it, how come we've never seen a shot where you see space get, you know, um, like the camera zooming, following Ant-Man as he shrinks and things elongating or getting, you know, getting smaller and bigger around him in real time. Something like that would be visually incredible, like something out of the, the, you know, the first Matrix. But they never thought of that.
2: Look, whenever I now want to like go into see a Marvel movie, I kind of inherently roll my eyes a bit. Mainly because I just feel like they're so inherently safe. Like, you know, I can never feel anything exciting or something that can actually truly surprise me. I just feel like I know what they're going for and they just hit that mark and nothing more.
1: But they go for that mark whether or not it's appropriate to the plot that they're they're trying to tell. For example, in this movie, we have a supervillain who exists just for there to be a supervillain to sell, you know, to sell supervillain action figures of there's a character who has chronic pain um who decide therefore acts like a typical marvel supervillain and they've made a half-hearted attempt of making her a sympathetic villain but really she's not that sympathetic because if she just sat down and spoke to somebody for five minutes the problems would be resolved but instead marvel mandates a supervillain so here it is yeah, the supervillain, and so much of this film is a tough forgettable, as you could be forgiven for forgetting that Michelle Pfeiffer
0: was in this movie. She's probably the best actor in this film, and this involves Ant-Man going to the subatomic realm. She has all of a few minutes in this film. What are you doing having Michelle Pfeiffer in a movie and barely having her there at all? She basically could have done this over a weekend. Why? She is such a marvelous actress. They completely, completely misused her.
1: Absolutely. In the first film, they established that the subatomic realm is a place where you can lose your mind because it's so far from what humans perceive normally. And they mention that again in this movie. As you realize pretty early on, when they start receiving messages from Michelle Pfeiffer's character, who's been there alone for 30 years, she's absolutely fine. She says, like, yep, hey, great to hear from you guys. They, th- this movie can't even follow through on the threats that it's established in its own script. Which is probably going to be
0: necessary for the films to come, and now they're just completely undercut that.
1: Yeah, there, there's... It, people, Marvel fans seem to get defensive when you say there's no stakes to their movies, but really, guys, there, there never is and, until the moment that there's a Thanos or something, you know, and there's some real danger introduced. And even that seems like it's going to get undercut.
2: Yeah, exactly, because like, the, like the stakes is... And the fact is, it, it just feels... Like, and my biggest gripe with Marvel is the fact they kind of robotically program you to experience every emotion in little doses. Like you know, they tell you, "Hey, now feel this. Now feel this. Now feel this. Now laugh, and now we're back to normal again." It just feels so incredibly manipulative, and I'm just, I'm just sick of it.
1: by the way, the movie's called Ant-Man and the Wasp, but man, the Wasp is such a boring character. She's like Scott himself is, is reasonably boring. But what can you actually tell me about the Wasp other than she's smart, she sometimes makes jokes at Scott's expense, and uh, I guess that's about it. She's just completely flat. I
0: was actually going to get on to Evangeline Lilly. She's not a particularly well fleshed out character, but what I will give her characterization and particularly that of the Wasp, is that her fight scenes are the best in the film. It's particularly difficult, and we saw some very good fight scenes done very briefly in the Infinity War, where it was time and reality fighting. Here, it's actually not something too dissimilar in the sense that you have someone who can shift through space and become smaller and larger fighting against each other. And you could have just done a couple... If this was the Infinity War director, they could have just done this over about 30 seconds. But here, there are actually some interesting, extended, well-choreographed fight scenes, which are exceptionally well done, a scene in the restaurant so I did appreciate that even if much of the film was very lax and forgettable
2: uh, just a quick reference uh, I think the only thing I liked about this movie was the presence of Michael Pena so go for him but other than that no, no presence, no, oh, yeah. nothing oh, yeah. he
0: was great I he's think, always great I think it was the best thing in the first film too
1: I think the stuff that he says isn't very well written but he
0: delivers it really well and as he didn't and everyone much of his other films. So that was Ant-Man and the Wasp, like, that is in cinemas now, as is Ocean's 8. Skyscraper will be in cinemas from tomorrow. We'll be back next week doing something a little different. We're going back in time to the 18th of July, 1998, to review films from then that came out that week. And there's something about like Mary will be out that week, as well as Saving Private Ryan, and a favourite film from 1998, and probably the one from 1998 I've watched the most of, and that is armageddon the great great michael bay classic speaking of outrageous action films
1: as we are this week yeah um i'll be back yes we'll be back
2: we'll be back but also give oceans a chance it's not that bad yeah bye
1: and oh no, we have a few seconds left we're still on air for just a little bit longer i'll be back as the rock says in armageddon
0: he actually does have one great line in the skyscraper movie, but, but like one great line. I think I, I liked Armageddon. It was one of those films when I was home from school, I kind of watched it, you know, it was one I had on the VHS, I have it on VHS. I'll
1: have some strong words about that on the podcast next week, so be sure to download that. Yes, yeah, so
0: we'll be doing an extended podcast edition of Armageddon and All Things nine in the End. If you do want us to review a particular year or go back in time to a particular decade, let us know. Stay tuned for The Sonic Assassin and more excellent programming on 2SCR. This has been Glenn Falgenstein, Chris Evans, and virat Nehru. Have a wonderful night. Enjoy movies. Good night.
2: Good night. It never ends. It never ends. Good night.